This morning, if you would, join me in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And, and as you're turning or as you're pulling out your, your tablet, your smartphone, electric device, and scrolling around on there to find our passage this morning, let me remind you of a couple of big service opportunities we have coming up here in our church body just in the next uh, couple of weeks. We have our trunk or treat coming up a week from Tuesday. That would be Halloween night, the 31st. It rolls around the same day every year. So it shouldn't catch you by surprise that we're gonna be having this uh, going on in just a couple of weeks. We need trunks and we need treats. And those come together at your vehicle up here on the grass lot at 5.30. So if you will let us know, we're gonna have a great representation from our community. We have almost all of the fair City Council candidates that are going to come and be part of our uh, trunk or treat. We've got the city fire, the city police. Uh, we've got a couple of restaurants that are coming and they're going to all help out. But we want the greatest representation to be from First Baptist Church of Fairburn, Georgia. It's our grass up there. It's our lot as we're hosting it. And we want to make sure that these thousand kids plus their families that come through see us before they see everything else. So if you will, please, 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 please come and sign up and be part of this. And once we're out of candy, once we're done, we're done. We're going to shut it down right at seven o'clock. So uh, it won't be a, a, a late night at all. Also coming up in just a couple of the week after that is election day. And we are a polling place. So we need a couple of people, a few people. I don't know how many people. I wasn't told the number, just people that can be here to help with the polling site. It's an opportunity where you can meet people in the community, let them know some things that we've got going on at church and, and be a presence in their life. If you have found your place in Matthew chapter 6, let me invite you to stand with me if you are able as we reverence the reading of the word of God together, looking at verse 25 to 34 together this morning. And Jesus says this, it is for this reason that I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, not for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not worth much more than you are? Excuse me, aren't you not, are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about your clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even King Solomon in all of his glory, not even him, not even King Solomon did he clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together. 
Father, refreshing words from your word, from Christ Jesus, from the, from the scripture. Refreshing words into our lives as we struggle and toil with existence and all that it takes to live life. Father, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see what your word is showing us and hear what you are teaching us that we might live life different than everyone else in Atlanta because we are called by your name and by your purpose as your children, your followers. Lord, move in our hearts today and we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Most of you will recognize those words from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, as spoken by Jesus, as he's calling people to himself. And he tells them, come, you're weary. You are weary and you are burdened. You have a heavy, heavy burden. Come to me and I will give you rest. So, so let me ask you this morning, have you found your rest? Are, are, are you restful or, or are you still burdened? Most of you don't look like you rested well last night, no offense. Are you finding rest? Are you finding peace? Is the rest for which you are clamoring and for which you are striving, is it readily available or, or are you still burdened? Last week we talked about all the stuff that we have. Jesus spends verse 19 through 24 talking to us about how we store up our stuff here but challenges to store up our, tre our treasure and our stuff in heaven where we have an eternal security and we have an eternal hope and not here where people try to take it and where people try to destroy it. And after all, it's gonna get destroyed on this earth anyway because this earth isn't going anywhere but destruction when we get a new heaven and a new earth but we strive to protect see we amass all this stuff here and then we get stressed about it right we get this anxiety over all of our things let me prove it to you you have stuff in your house some of you have a burglar alarm on your house you have stuff on in your house some of you have insurance for that stuff you have stuff in your house and some of you have guns to protect the stuff that you have insurance and an alarm already to protect. And still you're worried that somebody's gonna break in and steal it. So that's why you have insurance, that's why you have alarms, that's why you have guns, right? You're worried about your health. You have more doctor's appointments this next week than some people have in an entire year because you're worried about your health. Some of you are worried about the state of our country, so you've affixed yourself to a political party that's supposed to offer some sort of hope, but it hasn't worked out yet. Because these are man-made problems that have a spiritual nature that we've got to go to the one who truly can offer us rest to find the answer, to find the hope, to find the, the, the rest. See, we're looking at things the way the world does when we start getting so anxious and so worried and so worked up that we can't focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus makes this, this appeal. Are, are, you, are you burdened? Are, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Look, look where Jesus says in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me. So let's go to him. 
Let's go to him because this is, the, this is the basis of what Jesus drops us in in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. This is why he tells us to look at some things around us a little more carefully. And the first thing he demonstrates for us in this passage is that life is more than just physical existence. Life is more than just the flesh and blood, the stuff, the car you got here in, the clothes you're wearing, the food you're gonna eat. Life is a whole lot more than that. Now we spent a lot of stock and a lot of time into all of those things. But Jesus pulls us in as only Jesus can to the reality of where we are and that is that life is not just that. Three times in this passage of scripture, he tells us, don't worry. So all, all you people that grew up in the 80s are getting a little Bobby McFerrin going, but I don't worry, be happy. Come on, you, you know the song, don't, don't do the ooze, please. But here he comes in and says, don't worry three times because he's trying to show us to look past what we can touch, feel, taste, smell, hear, and all the physical. So before we really dive into the crux of what Jesus is doing, let me, let me throw a couple of disclaimers to, so you, nobody misquotes me, nobody misunderstands what we're trying to communicate, nobody looks over the, the, the meat of what Jesus says. Here's something Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not giving us a free license to be lazy because making a living is important. Making a living, living is important. I gotta put that G on there, even though I'm from the South, it does end in a G and not an apostrophe. Making a living is important. We have so many times in scripture where we're told of the responsibility to provide for your family. One of the strongest, one of the strongest statements that's made comes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, where Peter says, anyone that is unwilling to provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Jesus isn't saying, you know what, go out and live off of everybody else. Go out and live off of whatever, whatever means you can other than taking the responsibility to make a living, to have a job, to be a productive citizen if you're physically able. The Bible has all sorts of provisions for those that aren't physically able. And we rightfully uphold those. But Jesus, Jesus is sitting here not telling people, look, don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the clothes. Just go live off everybody else and you'll be okay. That's not what he's saying because making a living is important. Also, what we find is that um, responsibility is a legitimate concern. Responsibility is a legitimate concern. Can we just be real for a second that a lot of the fear, worry, worry anxiety, a lot of the weariness that we have when it comes to stuff we created because we were irresponsible at some point. Can, can, can we be a little bit real that sometimes when bills are due and we're worried how we're gonna pay that bill, we start looking back and realize, man, we made too, too many trips to, Wal uh, to Walmart or McDonald's that week, that month, that, that pay period. Can, can we be a little bit honest that there are a lot of things that we, have, that we have delved into? We in the church even, I mean, no wonder our economy has been so shaky the last 15 to 20 years when you find out that people are spending on average 112% of what they make in a year. I don't know about you, but I don't, can't make 12% of my income just appear somewhere. I wish I could. I wish I had this little magic tree back here in my backyard. It's like, hey tree. <laughs> I spent $200 more than I should have, but I got to pay the mortgage or else the bank's going to kick us out. So can I have the two? Yeah, here you go. I can't do that. 
So we legitimately must be concerned about our responsibility as faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. Jesus isn't telling the people here on the side of the hill and he's not telling us today, all right, just look at the birds, just look at the grass, don't have any responsibility, live this carefree, free-flowing life with no concerns, pie in the sky, it's all gonna happen. No, we have to be responsible. We have to be responsible. It's when we take our responsibility beyond our control and say, you know what? I don't trust. I don't have faith. I must be in control that our anxiety and worry kicks in and we're not looking at God as provider. We're looking at God as failed wish granter. And so Jesus says in all of this, he brings us into something very cool, I believe, and that is that worry and money deteriorate your life. Worry and money deteriorate your life. It's like, good grief. How is is more money gonna deteriorate my life? How is more stuff? Because of the added anxiety, care, and, and, and destructive nature that it brings. Look at what he says in verse 27. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? Anybody? Can anybody be so worried about food, so worried about clothes, so worried about material existence that we can actually add an hour to the end of our life? You know why you can't do that? Because you don't know when the end's gonna come for you. you. You didn't say, you didn't set the time. The Bible tells us that God has affixed and appointed all times and all seasons. It tells us that there's appointed, it is appointed once for man to die and after that comes the judgment. And you can't change that appointment. It's not like calling doctor, hey, something's come up. Can I reschedule for tomorrow? Man, that would be great, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm supposed to die in three weeks. Can we bump that back? I got something cool coming up. I wanna schedule it. You can't do that. He says, you you can't worry yourself, but here's what you can do. You can deteriorate your life. What does worry do? Worry causes you to be sleepless. Worry causes you to be ill-tempered. Worry causes you to be just grumpy. And, and worry actually causes your body to respond as though it's under physical attack. It's called the fight or flight syndrome. Some of us take the fight, some of us take the flight, but we respond as though we're under physical attack. What kind of quality of life is that? Jesus says in this passage of scripture, you can look at all your stuff and you can be so worried about food and you can be so worried about clothing and you can be so worried about all the physical that you miss what God has done and what God has provided and thereby deteriorate your life and forget that you're not gonna add anything to it. It's not gonna benefit you. I'm not telling you to go sell everything you have. That's between you and God. What I am saying is that life is more than just physical existence. Why is life more than physical existence? It's because we have a creator. Look what Jesus does here. He says in this passage of scripture, he uses two analogies to show us that our creator has a great care for us. It kind of works like this. Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the sky, he says. They they do not sow. They do not reap nor do they gather into barns, but your heavenly father provides for them. He feeds them. Look at the grass, he goes on to say. 
Uh, Look at the grass, the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon was arrayed in all of his splendor as one of these. See, he brings us into this creation. He brings us into the design of God. And he's doing a couple of major things in this. He's demonstrating two different analogies. God is creator and God is father. God is the one who makes us and sustains us. God, the one who lovingly provides for us as father. And when Jesus pulls us into this, when Jesus draws us into this great care of a creator, he's demonstrating that there is a responsibility that is rightfully God's that he takes on because he loves you, he loves me, and he desires that we know who he is. We look at creation not to say, oh, that flower just happened to grow there so beautifully. Oh, those leaves just look so wonderful this time of the year. Oh, that's such a beautiful sunset. But to look at it and say, there's got to be a God behind this that calls that flower to grow, that calls that season to change, that artistically designed the atmosphere and the way the sun would reflect its light off of all the moisture particles within our atmosphere to see the beauty of what he made because he loves us. It points us to who he is so that he could point us back to his son so that we could come to know the fullness of who he is in Christ Jesus. And he, Jesus says in this passage of scripture that because God made us, he supplies for us. Look at this. Look at the birds. Did God make the birds? Everybody say yes. Chick-fil-A didn't make the chickens, okay? The God created the birds, The first day he created, he said, let there be light. The second day, he said, let there be an expanse. The third day, he said, let the dry land shoot up. The fourth day, he said, let there be all the stuff that's growing and everything, even the poison ivy, sorry guys. But even all that stuff, the green vegetation. On the fifth day, he said, all right, here we go. We're gonna have the sun and the moon. The the sixth day, he says, "Here's here's the big one. You ready? Here's the big one, the sixth day, animals. It says, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Let them swarm, let them repopulate and all the beasts of the field. Did God create the birds? Yes. Have you ever seen a bird driving a John Deere? Have you ever seen a bird pushing a shopping cart at Walmart? You've not seen some old bird down through there, but you've not seen a physical, actual bird. Jesus says, look. The birds aren't shopping, the birds aren't planting, the bird is not their responsibility. Who feeds the birds? God. You say, well, oh, Evan, I've got a bird feeder in my yard and that red robin comes by, that's that's a burger place, That, that bird comes by every week and says, hey, I'm gonna eat right here, I provide for the birds. Who gave you the money to go? God gave you a job, he gave you the money, he gave you the means to go and provide for that bird. God did it, period. Hey, look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. We're just gonna cut them down and use them for kindling to start a fire. Did God make the grass? Day four, yes, he did. He made the flowers. He made all of that. This is fake, but he made the stuff it's made out of. And if it's gonna be destroyed anyway, but he still makes it beautiful, how much more would he not take care of you? See, the question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to worry, anxiety, and fear is who is my father? What is my relationship to God? So what is your relationship to God? 
there are really only two answers. He's my father or he's my judge. Those are your only two options. Because the Bible says that each one of us were created in the image of God. He, he, he spoke all these great things into existence. And Genesis 2 tells us that he stopped and knelt down like a kid playing with Play-Doh and used his hands to form and fashion us into something that he didn't speak into existence, but into which he breathed his own breath of life. And he says in Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27, he says, let's make man in our image, so in our likeness, so that they can have dominion over everything else that we made. And 27 says, and so God made man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, God made them. So, so, so it's not something that he just spoke, it's something that he took time. We are created differently. We are created specially. But the problem is we have sin. We were born in sin, we are sinners. And because of that, we have a broken relationship with our creator. So the answer to the question is either God is your judge or he is your father. He is your father if you come to faith in Christ Jesus and trust that Jesus, the same one that's speaking in this passage of scripture, the same one that bled and died for you, that his blood was sufficient to cover all of your sins, to provide God's only means of forgiveness and salvation for you. And you're not just some, hey, cool, I'm a Christian. Now, you're a child of God. And when you look at him as father, you see all that comes with being in dad's house and you see all that dad has put around you and all that dad is supplying for you and all that's dad's responsibility. But if you say, man, I've never trusted Jesus and God is your judge. And if God is your judge, all of that weight and all of that wrath for your sin, your individual sin, will pour down on you. But Jesus corporately took it for all of us by faith. So my question is, would you rather have a judge or a dad? Maybe you've got a bad dad relationship. This is a dad that won't let you down. This is a dad that won't fail you, that won't abandon you, that won't leave you behind. This is a dad that will love you in the only true way a father can. So would you rather have that or the judge? Jesus says, as long as you're looking at God as the judge, you're gonna miss out on all of his creation, all of his provision, all of what he's doing because you're focused on the physical and not the spiritual and the provider. God made you and he supplies for you. He he supplies for you. Your every need, Jesus says, God knows you need these things. You know what, He, he loves you enough to provide them. He loves you enough to make sure that your needs are met. Paul says this way, my God will supply all of your needs. And then he says it this this way to end it up, according to his riches. Now I could supply to you out of my riches and it might buy you a happy meal. God supplies to you out of his riches and it supplies for your eternal security and your, the profit of knowing Christ Jesus, which is righteousness. Because God made us, he supplies for us. And ultimately, this is a statement about the existence of God. This is a statement about the existence of God. Look at what he says in this passage. He says, if, if, if you are gonna be so worried that you think you can add a single hour to your life, you can't. But why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil nor do they spin. But I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more 
clothe you, you of little faith. Verse 31, the command, do not worry then. It's by saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. But your father, your heavenly father, knows that you need these things. Jesus puts us into a contrast of the system of the world and the system of the kingdom of God. And sometimes what we find ourselves is that we believe about the kingdom of God but operate in the system of the world. The Gentiles, the pagans, those that don't believe in God, those that don't know God, they're the ones in society that are telling you that you've gotta go stand in line for 19 hours to get that new Google pixel phone and you got or you got to have the iphone or you've got to have this car or you've got to drive the, you got to work at this kind of place you got to have this kind of house you've got to have this kind of thing you've got to look like this you've got to wear like this your body's got to fit into this tiny box and you've got to be able to do all of these things and society is saying look and it's clamoring and it's filling you with this this, this desire for stuff and stuff and stuff you're like i can't afford that stuff okay well here's you a piece of plastic that will get you all that stuff and, and we do that in the church and we're ultimately saying, I don't trust that God is enough. Ultimately, it's a statement about our father. All, all the dads in here, all the dads in here will understand this. When your child goes out into the world, whether they're 5, 15, or 35, and you kind of sneak up on them and you hear them talking about how bad their dad is, and how your, their dad doesn't do anything for them. And, and in your mind, you're going, I put a roof over your head. You ate last night. You're still breathing. You're putting all these things out there. You're, what happens is on the inside, you start questioning something about your relationship to your child, right? Because your child has just gone into the world and said, my dad does not exist the way a dad should. If you're a child of God, your fear, your worry, your anxiety, say something about God's provision, his peace, and his existence to the world that's trying to do it their own way. You weren't called to live as the world. You were called to be emissaries of God in this world, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, acceptable before God, doing things different as he is the king. And Jesus says, the Gentiles, yeah, they're doing this. The pagans, those that don't know God as father, they're running around and they're the ones that are feeding this rat race. And if you look just like them, what are you telling them about the power of your God? You sing victory in Jesus, but live in the defeat of the world. You sing amazing grace, but you still clothe yourself in the unrighteousness that that grace removed. Jesus said, this is a statement about the existence of God. Just over 20 years ago, there was a, a Christian band called DC Talk. I think I've referenced them before. And they, they, were, they were like every mid-90s youth age uh, uh, youth group. And they, they, they were the band to listen to 20 years ago. Well, they had, they had a song on uh, 1995 on their album, Jesus Freak, that was called, What If I Stumble? In the very beginning of One If I Stumble, it put this little speech line of just like maybe a pre-recording or something. The man says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Those that profess Jesus with their, lie, their mouth, but go on about their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. 
When you and I look at the world and all of its physical existence and all that it offers, and we get so worried and so consumed about all of the physical, we have shown the world that our God is not powerful enough. But that's not what we profess. Our creator has a great care and our, our managing our worry and fear and anxiety says something about him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop there. He brings us into a gentle reminder. He asks us to remember what the doctor ordered. So if you get sick this week and you go to the doctor and he says, well, based on your symptoms, you have this sickness. But if you want to get better, here's what you do. And he writes you out a prescription over there, right? He tells you to get plenty of sleep, to brush your teeth twice a day, to make sure you watch Wheel of Fortune, to take this medicine, to eat this chicken noodle soup, and to call him next week if you're not feeling better, right? So what do you do? You take that piece of paper and say, well, I just paid my $25 copay, but I'm not gonna listen to what you said. No, you go home. You wanna feel better. You feel miserable. So you do what the doctor has shown you to do. So you make sure you brush your teeth. You make sure you get plenty of sleep. You make sure that you, if you're not home when Wheel of Fortune's on, you record it. And so you watch it later. And then you take that medicine and you call him the next week because you're feeling better, right? You do what the doctor has shown you to do to get well. You want to overcome fear, worry, anxiety in your life? Look at what Jesus says. He says, seek first, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. All of these things will be taken care of. All of these things will be wiped off your plate. Why? Because you're not assuming responsibility for what God said is his responsibility as your father, as your provider, as your supplier, as the one who loves you greater than you can even love yourself. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, so let's set a goal together. We want to follow the doctor order? We're going, to, we're going to set a goal together. Make your goal the kingdom of God. Make your goal the kingdom of God. This is taking all of the physical, this is taking all of your existence and looking at it through the eternal spiritual lens. No longer as just a car, no longer as just a clothes, no longer as just a meal, but something that, hey, how does this impact the world for the kingdom of God? How can I use my clothing to demonstrate Christ? How can I use my car to point others to God? How can I use this meal? And you're gonna start asking yourself, well, what in the world, how do you, Use your car to point others to God? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The way you responsibly take care of it, the laws around you, and all that governs point to the authority of God in your life. That meal. I've got food in the refrigerator that I can eat or I can go and blow more money than I need to that's gonna cause me to worry about finances later if I eat at the restaurant now. That's putting things in a kingdom perspective and it's looking at God, you own it anyway. What do you want me to do with it? You stop worrying about it when you start asking God what he wants you to do with it. You stop worrying about it when you start looking at it as though it belongs in the kingdom because you're in the kingdom and the king gave it to you to use for his purpose, his power, his glory, his might, and his majesty. And then also make your pursuit the righteousness of Christ. We pursue a lot of things. 
we pursue a whole lot of things. Business ventures, popularity, status. We pursue a whole lot and it weighs on us. And, and we get run down and we get ragged and remember, we forget that Jesus said, come to me. C- come to me. Every, everybody that's weary, everybody that's head, heavy laden, come to me. And we place that directly beside what Jesus told us earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you have the righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. That's not a righteousness that you earn. That's not a righteousness that you buy. That's not a righteousness that you attain. It's a righteousness that's given to you in Christ Jesus. It is a gift and it is a responsibility to use the righteousness given for the kingdom cause, for the glory of God, for all that Christ Jesus has laid before you by the power of his spirit for you to accomplish according to God's purpose and plan for you to make disciples to reach. Seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. Pursue the righteousness of Christ. We all pursue a lot of things. How often do we stop and say, what does this say about my pursuit of the righteousness of Christ? Are you heavy laden? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you anxious? Do the cares and troubles of the world weigh on you? Do they grasp your ankles and seem to shackle you and keep you from moving? You want to know how to get out? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the face of the one who saved you. Seek first the God who created you, who is your father, whose responsibility. And what better place to lay everything down? What better place than to to move out of this, this weariness and this anxiety into the rest that we're supposed to have than at the Lord's table? Will we remember the sacrifice that Christ Jesus made? The sacrificial lamb of God, the one who was born to die for you, to die for me, that our sins can be removed, that we can have the rest for which this world longs and this world cannot provide. It's a time that we look to God as Father and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for being the one who saved me. But today, let me ask you, before we approach the table, are you weary? Are you anxious? What do you need to lay down? Maybe it's your own life. Maybe it's your life in trusting Christ Jesus for the first time. Giving it all over to him, receiving the forgiveness, looking at God for the first time as father and not as judge looking at him as the king of his kingdom and not some great idea that they talk about at church. Maybe you've been running around in the kingdom, but you've not taken the responsibility of the kingdom. You've pursued everything else in the world and not the righteousness of Christ, and you want to lay that down. Donnie's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation in a time that we sing and we seek the face of God. So before we approach the Lord's table, let me ask you, what are you doing with your anxiety? Where are you finding rest?